actually in week two of a series, so if you weren't here last week, I'll catch you up, but week two of a series, and the title of this series is, We're Gonna Need a Bigger Boat. So before I kind of get into the meaning behind the title of that series, let me uh, follow on from something that we did last week, okay? We actually uh, made you work a little bit here, so I hope you're okay with that. You actually have to use your brains. Uh, a little bit of a quiz here to see how well you know your movies, all right? So audience participation is allowed. You can call out answers. I'm going to read you the line, uh, a quote from a movie, and you have to tell me which movie it's from. So I'm going to start out with a nice, easy one for you. So this first line is, I've got a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Yes. Now, only a few people said that. So either you're not very brave this morning, or that really wasn't quite as easy as I thought. I did take the words Toto out of the quote. That may have uh, helped a little bit. But Toto, we are not in Kansas anymore, is what Dorothy said. Okay, next line. Show me the money. Yes, well done. Jerry Maguire, there's Tom Cruise there screaming down the phone, show me the money. Okay, this next one I have to whisper, I see dead people. <laughs> Six cents, yes, that's right. That little guy, this is ages ago. Actually, when I was looking for that picture to put in there, um, I found the picture of what he looks like today. It's completely different. So, But yes, uh, sixth sense. Um, how about this one? I'm the king of the world. Titanic, that's right. Well done, well done. And then finally, this movie, uh, this line from this movie, you're going to need a bigger boat. Jaws, that's right. We introduced this line from this movie last week. There it is right there. The guy, they're out on this little boat to try and find this shark that's been causing havoc in the area. And they get to see it for the first time. And when they see how big it is, the actor Roy Scheider, he turns to the other guy, he goes, you're going to need a bigger boat because they realize we are not prepared for what's going on here. So, so that was kind of the thought process behind this series. The title of the series is We're Going to Need a Bigger Boat. And where this came from was um, some of the leaders and myself, we were talking a while back about how just um, exciting it is to look out on a Sunday and during the week and to see how over the last three years since September of 2013, when Connect Church had its very first Sunday service, how over time the church has grown. And we've had to look out sometimes and think, man, we're, we're going to have to adjust and adapt because of the way in which the church has grown. We're going to have to uh, create a second service and bring on more leaders and more staff and, and some different changes have been made. And, and really, we've been thinking along the ways, we're going to need a bigger boat. But here's why we came up with this title for this series, because as we've seen Connect Church grow, we've realized that, that we do need a bigger boat. But for Casey and I, when we started Connect Church back in 2013, we felt that we were doing this because God was leading us to do this. And we felt that he didn't just say, hey, I want you to start this church in, in Washington, but we felt he actually gave us um, some direction. This is a compass the before modern instrumentation, um, sailors of olden days would have used a compass like this to, to chart their course, to navigate the direction in which they wanted to go. They would sail by the stars at night and would use something like this during the day because they knew where they were headed. They had a destination in mind, and it didn't matter which way the wind was blowing. This is where we were going. And what we've come to realize over these last few months, and something I felt I needed to share in this series, is that um, even though the size of the boat may have changed, the destination remains the same. 
Even though the size of the boat may have changed, the destination still remains the same. So we felt, Casey and I and some of the leaders that were with us when we first started Connect Church, that, that God not only kind of was leading us to start this church, but he had some specific directions in which he wanted us to head. For example, we, we told you one of the, the core values of Connect last Sunday. We, we told you that Connect Church is a church that serves we want to be known on a Sunday with people who volunteer and help, but even in the community, we want to be known as a church that serves. I love seeing all the volunteers who are at work every Sunday who, who make this happen, who prepare this room and who, who do everything with the kids and, and make everything happen. It's wonderful to see so many people, a part of Connect, embracing that value that we are a church that serves. This last week, um, Good Neighbor Days, we had so many people serving uh, in Good Neighbor Days and showing that Connect Church is a church that serves. So last week, we introduced this little guy to you. This boat is a tugboat. We said we want Connect Church to be a tugboat church, the kind of church that, that is, isn't afraid to serve. The tugboat is sometimes overwhelmed by the beauty and the majesty of these, these different ships and boats that it helps move through the harbor. But the reality is they couldn't get to where they need to go were it not for this little tugboat. And because of some of the wonderful people who choose to serve on a regular basis at Connect, they're able to help others, newcomers, visitors, get where they need to go. But we're not just a church that serves. That was one of the core values, one of the directions that we felt we needed to stay true to. But this morning, I want to introduce you to a second core value. And in doing that, I'm going to introduce you to a second boat this morning. This is the Coast Guard. In England, we would call this a lifeboat, okay? Uh, we have the, um, the Lifeboat Association in England, but here they're the Coast Guard, so I'll probably use both words throughout the morning. But, but the Coast Guard are a wonderful organization, they formalized, actually, under the, the presidency of Woodrow Wilson in 1915, where he merged two existing organizations together to form the Coast Guard. There was an organization in place that, that handled all the, the sales revenue and tariffs of ships that came in and different harbor traffic. But there was another organization, and they were called the Life Saving Society. The Life-Saving Society, they've been around for several hundred years, and they would be a group of guys who, who would look something like this, who, who would live in, in coastal areas, and they would, um, in living in these coastal areas, they would wait for, for storms to come in. And when the storms would come in, they'd, they'd pull out the boat, and they'd put on their life jackets, and they'd jump into their boats, and they would row out to rescue those that were in distress. These were the, the men that made up this organization called the Life Saving Society. So when the Coast Guard was formed, it was out of these two organizations. And the reason I've got this boat this morning is because I want to use it to illustrate the fact that Connect Church isn't just a church that serves. Connect Church is a church that reaches out. Connect Church is a church that reaches out. I feel we as a church are like a Coast Guard church. We are a lifeboat church. That God has positioned us that the direction we will sail in is that we will always be a church that wants to rescue those in distress. So in our context here in Connect, it's, it's making that decision, it's making that commitment to say there are many people in our community, they could be neighbors of ours or friends of ours, relatives of ours, people we work with, but people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. People who haven't discovered Jesus in the way that many of us have. 
And as a church, even though over three years we've grown in size, I never want to lose that, that true north that I feel that God called us to, is to be a, a church that reaches out, a church that exists to reach those people that have not yet found a relationship with Jesus, that still find themselves far from God. You know, this isn't just something that we thought was a good idea. I feel like this is um, directly in the heart of Jesus himself. There's a wonderful story. A guy by the name of Luke tells this story of Jesus' life. And it's a time when Jesus comes in contact with a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, you need to understand that in that culture, the tax collectors, in the eyes of religious leaders, they were the outcasts. You imagine someone today that maybe um, religious leaders or church people, if they were known to associate with this kind of person, may, may, people may look down their nose at them. That's who the tax collectors were. They were outcasts. And, and something happened one day when Jesus was coming into town and he sees Zacchaeus. He says, hey, I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you. I want to get to know you. And Luke tells a story of how Jesus then went to Zacchaeus' home and he ate with him and he, he talked with him. And what's fascinating is in Luke's account, we don't get to hear what the conversation was between Jesus and Zacchaeus. But we do get to hear how it was perceived by the religious folk of the time. They weren't happy. They were very unimpressed by the fact that Jesus, this religious leader, would, would associate with himself with somebody like Zacchaeus. Listen to how Luke describes it in Luke chapter 19, verse 9 to 10. Jesus gets wind of the fact that these people were grumbling and complaining. He says, listen, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. He's discovered Jesus. And then Jesus says this. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those that are lost. To seek and to save those that are lost. That sounds a lot like the Coast Guard to me. That Jesus, was, was his primary call was to rescue those who are in distress. To seek and to save those that are lost. I want Connect Church to be a Coast Guard church, to be a church that reaches out. And here's the thing. If Connect Church is going to be a church that reaches out, then as, as people that call Connect Church their church home, we are going to have to be people that live lives of reaching out to seek and to save those that are lost. That's the challenge for us this morning. So I want to share a story with you this morning, and I'm going to ask a, a friend of mine to do that. He's a pastor of a church up in Chicago. Um, it's a huge church, runs over 20,000 people. Um, I'd love for him to come and tell you this story in person, but I've got a feeling he's kind of busy right now. So uh, instead, we're going to get to hear from him this morning by video. So I want you to sit back and relax. This is a little bit of a longer video, but uh, I think you're really going to enjoy uh, the story that he's about to tell. So check out this video. When I was just a little kid, my father introduced me to sailing and sailboat racing. And uh, I mean, immediately from the first time I was on a race boat, I mean, it was like an adrenaline rush. And I, I wanted to do it more and more and more. And uh, most of my junior high and senior high years in the summer, uh, I was on that boat. When I'm on a boat, 
and uh, feel the motion and the breeze. And then you mix in some good friendships uh, with that equation. And for me, that's as good as it gets. About 15 years into the development of Willow Creek, I realized that I needed to do a little replenishing and recalibrating in the summertime uh, due to some of the pressures of church work. And uh, we rented a little cottage here in South Haven, Michigan. And I guess originally I thought, well, this is where I won't be known as a Christian and as a Christian leader, and I can just fly beneath the radar and, and stay real low key here. But what I was not anticipating was getting into sailboat racing and developing an entire network of relationships that uh, were not church focused. These are people who would never really be able to attend our church because of the three hour time distance. Yet I could see God starting to stir and work in some of the, the lives of the people that I befriended and raced sailboats with in the town here. I'm just one of the guys who, you know, has found faith and uh, try to spread that as naturally as possible in just normal recreational contexts. Well, I was uh, involved in a sailing team uh, here in South Haven uh, for quite a number of years, uh, guys that I've sailed with competitively for, for quite some time. And um, all of a sudden I got a phone call out of the blue from Tommy saying that we were not going to sail our regular program and that we were going to sail with this pastor from Chicago. And um, I just about hit the floor. I kind of had made a comment to Tommy that I said, why would we be doing that? I, I, I can't believe that we'd be, we'd be changing programs and, and felt at that time that the fund meter was really going to go from like 11 to 2. I remember the first time we went out to practice with this new sailing team and I was uh, being introduced to each of the guys. When I got to Dave Wright, they called him Super, or sometimes they'd call him Soup. And I thought it was a little strange until I discovered over the next few weeks, he was just a super guy. When I first met Bill, I was really quite suspicious of, of what that relationship was gonna be like. And I, I think I moved in a direction of um, kind of observation, uh, kind of very standoffish. Sort of the ringleader of this sailing crew that was formed around uh, this bracing program that I put together it was a guy named Tommy. Wildest guy on the crew, full of life and energy. And uh, shortly after our time of sailing together, shortly, I mean, uh, maybe a season or two, Tommy got very interested in spiritual things and wound up uh, really starting to read his Bible and uh, doing some real spiritual seeking, and this freaked Dave Wright out. I mean, he was a close friend, and, uh, you know, we spent a little time getting in trouble. Um, and so when he entered into a relationship with Bill, I was really concerned about our friendship changing and um, was quite angry at times about that. I'll never forget the time when, after one of our uh, sailing regattas where Tom had started to open up to the other guys that he was actually considering Christianity, uh, Super Dave took me off to the side and said, I want you to stop messing with Tommy's mind about this God stuff. You know, it was, it was uh, customary for Tommy in the wintertime to, um, to take a little bit of time off, and Bill had uh, asked him to take a team of folks from Willow Creek down to the British Virgin Islands to do a team building experience. Well, he was doing this now for about a month 
and um, was coming back home and uh, met him on the jetway. And uh, as we were coming down the ramp, he says, well, you're not going to believe what I did this week. And I said, well, what's that? He goes, well, I became a Christian. And I, I just thought at that time that aliens had just taken my best friend. And he thought Tom was going to wind up just really off the deep end. And I was not that concerned because I saw the new work of Christ in Tom's life. Well, I didn't, I didn't grow up in the church. I did spend a little bit of time there as a child and uh, kind of rebelled against that experience. I found it to be quite boring. And then I had uh, two other experiences as a, as a teenager. These experiences really got quite strange. They had people putting their hands on me and praying for me, and it was just really uh, quite uh, uncomfortable. I could tell that Dave was uh, suspicious because I was a pastor. He had never really known a Christian well at that point in his life. I did come to Christ uh, uh, before my husband did, and it was very important to me that, that he come to Christ. I never thought I'd get married. I, I wanted to do life together in entirety with David. And so what did that mean? That if he didn't have a relationship with Christ, this was all going to fall apart. And it was hard to watch David struggle with uh, understanding what a relationship with Christ was and understanding what it meant to be a Christian when you people would push things at him. I saw something so uh, valuable inside Dave. And uh, I remember just saying to myself, this is going to be a long, slow walk. He's got to see a Christian kind of walk the walk. I, I never put a time span on it. I just said, this is a guy I'd like to be friends with and let God do whatever God's going to do. I really wanted to make sure that it was God doing the work and uh, me riding in the second position. Before uh, regatta, I was preparing my little area on the sailboat, and Bill would come up and just ask me how my week had gone, how Beth was, maybe what had gone on at work. I mean, the conversations never really moved uh, towards faith or Christianity. And it, again, it was just so refreshing uh, to me that he was concerned about me as an individual and what was going on in my life. I think really trying to point someone in the direction of faith is usually the summation of a lot of little inputs along the way. I don't think it's the big three-hour talk where you start with creation and end at the end of the Bible. I don't think it's a great big theological brain dump all at once. I remember um Bill giving me a copy of Case for Christ before it was uh, ever even in print. And so in my travels around the country, um, you know, on airplanes, I would pull that out and uh, read a few pages. And I really needed that because I was so inquisitive about the science part of it. Uh, I prayed for him constantly, constantly. Uh, I asked other people to pray for him. Uh, I left books around. I joined a Bible study. He. He'd ask me questions about what happened at the Bible study, and I'd get sneaky about it. You know, if you're, if you're curious, why don't you come? After a, a regatta, I'd say, uh, Dave, I'm going to pray for you every day this week, that you'll have a great week, that you'll be aware of, of this God who loves you. But it was just a series of these little seeds that were planted, inputs that were done, that I think started to gain some momentum over time.
Well, there was a, a time Bill and I were having breakfast together in a small little restaurant, and he uh, uh, proceeded to draw out the bridge illustration and was just inquiring about where I was at. Was I way on the left side? Was I getting a little closer to accepting God in my life? And I, I said, Bill, geez, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I'm like in the next booth. I was only trying to ascertain where he was. Was he just ready to trust Christ or was he just a step or two behind where I thought he was? I drove away from the restaurant thinking, man, I thought it'd take a little while, but uh, this, this might, I might be in for a decade here. He, he's a hard nut, uh, but he was honest and that's what you always love about Dave. I'll never forget when Dave called me and said that his dad had suddenly died of a heart attack. And the timing of this uh, in Dave's own process was very worrisome to me because we had just been talking about the afterlife. We had been talking about the fact that real people spend eternity uh, with God or without him. And that was hard for Dave to kind of comprehend uh, in and of itself. I remember my aunt, um, asking whether my father had said some type of prayer in his life and that would indicate whether he was going to heaven or not. I remember being at my mother's house and uh, just sitting on the floor and being on the phone with Bill and just trying to process uh, some of these things. But when it came to whether or not his dad was gonna wind up in heaven or not on the basis of his relationship with Christ and not just on the basis of was he a good guy, because he was a good guy. Those were extremely sensitive conversations that, uh, that I think wound up being pivotal in Dave's process. At about the seven year mark, I had become uh, such good friends with Dave and our lives had intertwined around sailboat racing and friendship and, and so, I remember getting to a point where I said, I, I just can't imagine not being in heaven with this guy. And the thought was rolling around in my head. And as he was leaving our Christmas party one Christmas, the thought occurred to me, why don't I just tell him? He just looked at me and he said, Soup, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm not going to eternity without you. You know, Guys don't say those kinds of things to each other. It just came out of me and I was like, well, that's how I feel, see ya. I got in the car and I, I told Beth, I said, you're not gonna believe what Bill just said to me. Um, and it just came from a, um, a place of genuine friendship and love. I mean, that just really made an impact. I mean, I thought about that a lot over the next year. I remember the, um, the Christmas Eve service uh, where I had dedicated my life to Christ and, and I just finally had decided that it was not worth kind of fighting it anymore. Uh, I was just sitting there listening to some worship. Um, I had all my questions answered and I just really felt it was time for me to say yes. And uh, Dave turns to me just as I'm helping he and his wife Beth with their coats and he says, oh, by the way, I'm good to go. And I looked at him, I thought, 
What do you mean you're good to go? Are you going home? Are you going to a hotel? Or, uh, I don't even understand what you're saying. And he had a little twinkle in his eye, and he says, like, I'm good to go, man. You, you got to understand. And then he kind of came out with it and said, I trusted Christ tonight in the service. And I, re I remember what I said to him. I said, no way. <laughs> I can't believe you did that. And he said, I thought you'd be happy. And uh, I said, well, it, it's going to take me just a little while to uh, digest that. And he said, well, you know, love you and give a hug. And then I don't think he had told his wife yet. He was going to tell her in the car on the drive home. But I remember going into my kitchen and I got Len and my kids around me. And, you know, they've been praying for Dave for eight years. And I said, uh, Super told me he's good to go. They're like, what does that mean? I said, I didn't know either. And uh, I said, he trusted Christ tonight. And they all, it's like in a chorus. They were like, no way. I said, that's what I said, no way. Uh, and I called him the next morning and we talked about it and he was just as solid as a rock. He had, had had his questions answered. His heart was ready. He made the decision and he has never looked back. He has grown consistently month by month uh, since that day. You know, I remember um, the evening before I got baptized, um, I was kind of asking Bill about what I should expect that next day. And um, he looked at me and said, the only thing you need to know right now is the deeper the sin, the deeper the dunk. I stepped out in the water, and Bill, of course, gently grabbed me and proceeded to, like, dunk me so deep, my head hit the bottom of the lake, my tennis shoes came out of the water. We laugh about it till this day, but there's deep symbolic importance to it as well. I mean, Dave came from a pretty colorful past, and the, I really wanted him to feel that he had been cleansed from head to toe. I wanted him to, to feel that complete sense of being washed through what Christ did. And uh, when he came out of the water and threw his arms up in the air, that was pretty cool. And so to this day, anytime I'm around Bill, I have a life jacket on if there's water close by. You know, I love the story in that video. I love that pastor's heart and passion. Um, and for Case and I, it's, it's, it's real kind of challenging because I can remember it was three or four years ago. We were on staff at Riverside, this church in Peoria. We were enjoying being on staff there. We liked it. It was a great place to, to work and a great church. But one of the things we'd battled with a little bit was we'd lived in Washington for over seven years now while working at this church, and we had uh, friends and neighbors and families who we did life with, where our kids were on a soccer team. In fact, I can remember joining that soccer team, and uh, I was the guy who they're like, oh man, he's going to go from an 11 to a 2. Now we've got this pastor on the soccer team. But um, I can remember making some really good friends, and, and we would invite some of these people because they weren't churchgoers. Jesus wasn't really a central part of their lives. So we would invite them to a church at Riverside, and they would say, ah, that's, that's like so far away. I don't want to go away to Peoria. And they would put obstacles in the way. And we really felt, man, wouldn't it be great if there was a church here in Washington that we could invite them to? 
And since then, three or four of those families now um, have come on a regular basis, our regular attenders here at Connect. We've got to baptize some of them if they've said, you know, we want Christ to be the center of our lives, of our family. The, some of them serve now in Connect Kids. It's just wonderful seeing how God has changed them. All because God put in my heart this desire to, to be somebody that would reach out, but also as we planted connect to say, you know, this needs to be one of our values that we, we navigate towards to be a church that reaches out. And the truth is, one of the reasons I want to talk about this in this series is, is as the boat gets bigger... The tendency can be to kind of change course just a little bit, especially if a lot of the, um, the people on that boat are followers of Jesus. That's wonderful, but there can be that tendency to say, well, let's change courses. Let's, let's not worry too much about those people. Let's worry more about, you know, the ones who are inside the church. We've got a lot of things that we would like to, and we will always, as a church, want to provide opportunities for those of you that are, that are followers of Jesus to grow in your relationship. That may be through serving or through small groups or through, through many other opportunities. But I don't feel like we're to, to change direction. I still feel like we need to be a church that reaches out, even three years on, to be a church that focuses on reaching those that are still outside of the church. Because the truth is that that is one of the things that can change over time. In fact, Bill Hybels talks about that in the, uh, uh, the next video I'm going to show you. He does like kind of a wrap-up video to what he was just talking about. So, so check this out. Unfortunately, I think the tendency for Christ followers is that the longer you walk with God, the more your relational world is inhabited by other Christ followers. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just how it works. And uh, even some statistics would indicate that if you've been a Christian 5, 10, 15 years, you barely cross paths anymore with someone who's far from God. Uh, you watch Christian television, listen to Christian radio, you uh, go to Christian events, you're involved in church work, and pretty soon it's just the totality of your existence. And so I have always felt I have to get a bit more intentional about making sure that I have proximity to people who are far from God. And I still argue the case that one of the best ways to do that is to find what your recreational passion is and then try to pursue it in the context of a group of people who aren't uh, filled with faith yet. And because then you have the unifying factor of the recreational passion that you all enjoy. And if the Holy Spirit is alive and well in you, over time, the Spirit's work in and through your life will probably open some doors to uh, further spiritual conversations. Usually when I'm in the process of my everyday life and I'm looking at the people around my world, I think to myself, you know, I should be developing friendships. That's what I think Christ followers do. And in the context of developing friendships, I think I should probably, before I say what's on my mind, I should discover the stories of the people that I'm developing friendships with. I mean, their lives, their backgrounds, their pain, the, what they've been through matters. I mean, it matters to God, it ought to matter to me. And then all I wanna do is discern what a next step would be. Uh, how can I contribute to their life? How can I add value? Not just spiritual value. How can I add practical value? How, 
how can I serve them in, in some way that would honor God and help them? I try to remind people who are serious about evangelism that even beneath the value of evangelism is the value of love. Radically accepting love. And uh, you will not go wrong. Heaven will never be disappointed if the bottom line value is love. I think what uh, Dave is doing with his life these days is like the ultimate irony. I mean, here's a guy who never went to church in his adult life and he spends 40 or 50 hours every week trying to serve churches uh, who are outreach oriented and uh, trying to reach guys like he was. And when I see him counseling pastors these days, I want to crack up laughing. Uh, because this is a guy I had to drag out of party tents and and uh, it just had a whole bunch of uh, vivid memories with uh, in his pre-Christian days and how God's using him now is one of the great joys of my life. You know, something else I discovered in my uh, boat uh, research is that uh, yacht clubs, if you're familiar with yacht clubs, they're uh, wonderful places where people can gather and socialize and uh, uh, drink and eat together and just, just enjoy one another's companies. Yacht clubs find their beginnings in um, life-saving societies. Those, those people that used to get down in those huts by the side of the beach and wait for the storms to come. When the storms come, they would head out to rescue. Well, well over time, they used to enjoy meeting in these little huts together and socializing and kind of hanging out with one another. And there would be longer periods of time before st between storms, and they would just spend more time together and and what happened was what started out as a, a rescue society turned into more of kind of a social gathering. And sadly, I see that happen sometimes in churches. I see churches that start out with this intention of wanting to rescue and, and save and, and reach out. But because of the uh, companionship and the connection that goes on, you know, suddenly they find themselves um, looking a little bit more inward and less outward. So we here at Connect, we're going to fight that. We want to always be a church that is a church known for reaching out. That although we enjoy being together and we enjoy the, the gatherings that we have together, it will never be at the expense of trying to reach those who have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus. We want to be known as a lifeboat church. A church that uh, exists to rescue those in distress, to reach those that are far from God, to reach the, the Daves of our community. And you may already be in relationship with them. It could be somebody that's part of a team that your kids play soccer or lacrosse or um, baseball with. It could be somebody you work with. It could be a neighbor that you find yourself building a relationship with. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And I think he wants us to live our lives being very aware of the fact that we have relationships all around us, some who may not know Jesus like we know him. And we can rescue them. We can be the lifeboat to them. Let's pray. Father, we are truly 
grateful and humbled at the fact that Connect Church has grown over the last three years to the point where we've realized in some areas we're going to need a bigger boat. And we, we know, Lord, we, this wouldn't be without you. But it's because of you, Lord, and what you're doing in this community and in the lives of the people that call Connect Church their church home. But God, at the same time as celebrating the, the changes in the, the size and shape of the boat, Lord, we don't want to lose track of the destination that you've called us to be upon. That destination that was in our very beginning, to be a church that serves, to be a church that reaches out. Help us never to lose sight of those goals, to keep sailing in the direction that you've called us to sail. Not just as a church building, but as a group of individuals that call Connect Church their church home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And right before you leave, I've got a special gift that I want to send away with every one of you this morning. It's a compass. Uh, we're going to give these out this morning and next week because I want you to put this somewhere. Maybe it'll go in your pocket, on your desk at work, um, somewhere in your house. And it'll be a constant reminder. When you see this compass, it'll remind you that Connect Church is a church that serves. Connect Church is a church that reaches people. And next Sunday you'll find out the final thing that Connect Church is. So grab a compass on the way out and come see us again next Sunday morning. Have a great week. Bye-bye.